We turn to James chapter 4, starting at verse 13, as we continue our journey through this book. James 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would apply these words to our lives today, that we would be able to say, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, for thou art the potter and I am the clay. Lord, teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Ever opened the Bible and put your finger on a verse and wondered if that's what God's Word was for you that day? Well, there was a man who was seeking to know God's will on a certain matter, and he randomly opened the Bible, put his finger on the page, and it came to Matthew 27, verse 5, which says that Judas went out and hanged himself. So he said, that's probably not the answer to my question. So he decided to do it again. He opened the Bible at random, put his finger on the page, came to Luke 10:37, which says, go and do likewise. He said, that just cannot be. So he tried it a third time, opened his Bible at random, put his finger on the page. John 13:27. what you do, do quickly. I would suggest to you that that isn't probably the greatest way to study your Bible, the greatest way to understand God's will. But one thing about this man, at least he wanted to know. He wanted to know what God's will was and whatever matter he was facing. You know, most people make the foolish mistake of going through life without giving any thought as to what God wants them to do. They just plan their lives out, right? They just do what they want to do without giving any thought of what... Maybe God wants something different for their lives. Adrian Rogers has said that they are practical atheists. And maybe they believe in God, but they are practical atheists because they live as if God does not exist. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to follow my plan. And I don't really care what anybody else thinks, not even God himself. These are the kind of people that James addresses in the verses that we just read. And he has three very clear things to say to them. The first thing he says is this, that it is foolish to ignore God's will. It seems pretty obvious that there were some businessmen among those to whom James is writing, who believed that it was wise to plan for the future. And I'm sure they would say that if you do not have a strategic plan for your business, your business is going to fail. 
But James reminds them that they can make the best plans for what they want to do, but there is no guarantee that those plans that you lay out are going to be fulfilled. Notice what he says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. He says, you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow because you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. right? I think it's wise to do that, and I think Scripture does lay that out, that we need to make some plans. Proverbs talks about, look, at, look what the ant does, right? He plans for the future. And so it isn't a sinful thing to, to make plans, but the men that James is addressing here made a very serious mistake. And that mistake was to leave the Lord out of their plans because they thought that they were in control of their future. That is foolish. To think that you are in control of your life and what your future will bring. Notice all the references to time. Verse 13. They talked about today and tomorrow and a year down the road. They had their daily plans and their weekly plans and their monthly plans and their yearly plans. And they were very detailed plans, weren't they? Not only did they say when they would do something and for how long they would do it, they also said where they would go, what they would do, and they also said what the result is going to be. <laughs> they said that we are, we are going to make a profit. Farmers, can you plan what's going to happen down the road? You, you don't know what the weather's going to do. You don't know what the economy is going to do. And yet, many of us think that we can just kind of lay out our lives and here's what's going to happen and we don't really know what will happen even tomorrow. He says, you don't know what our lives are going to be like tomorrow, let alone a year from now. There are too many things that can happen to change our plans. John MacArthur says, life is far from simple. It is a complex matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which we have little or no control, making it impossible for anyone to design or assure any specific future. I find it interesting when financial planners will talk about uh, planning for the future as if everything is going to go just like we plan it to go. Um, that's just not the way it is. And if this is how it was in the first century when James wrote these words, what about today? Think of how fast things change today. Like that. Look look what happened these last couple of years. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought we'd be going through what we did? And a lot of plans that people made. Well, I'll tell you what. They were not fulfilled. Not by any stretch of the imagination. 
And if you are the kind of person who wants to be in control, you're the kind of person that has all of the, you got your list, you know, and this is what you're going to do, and you're planning everything in advance, and if you think that just because you planned it, it's going to happen, I think you might be frustrated in life because things don't always turn out the way that we plan. There's another thing James says to those who think they are in control of their lives. Not only do we not know what our lives are going to be like tomorrow, we don't even know if we will be here tomorrow. Isn't that true? Verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. How many had coffee this morning, huh? How many of you should have had coffee this morning? Sitting in here looking at me with glass eyes. Huh? Your coffee, the steam, right? It just vanishes away. Or in the cold winter of Minnesota, your breath, right? It just vanishes away. A puff of smoke just vanishes away. Here one moment and, and gone the next. Jesus told a parable In Luke chapter 12, about a farmer, he said, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, Here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I've always wondered about that. Why would you tear down your barns? Why don't I just add another one? Build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? You see, the rich farmer had all kinds of plans, didn't he? He's going to build larger barns and store all of his grain. Then he's going to say, you can just take it easy for many years. He was thinking long term, wasn't he? Many years. But he didn't include in his plans an unexpected event. That unexpected event was that night. He died. Like a vapor. Here one moment and, and gone the next. I had a funeral for a man several years ago, a 50-year-old man. He just finished work, said to his workmates, I'll see you tomorrow. And boom, he collapsed on the floor and died. At his funeral a few days later. And I'll tell you what, that had quite an impact on the guys he worked with. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. That's why James says we need to approach life with the understanding that our plans might not be God's plans. That's why he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Is that in your vocabulary? (laughs) If the Lord wills? It ought to be in our vocabulary every day. Because we make plans for tomorrow and next week, and we have to recognize 
Only if the Lord wills. Paul, the apostle, was one who included the Lord in all of his plans, and he recognized that that God could change those plans anytime he wanted. And it's amazing how many times he mentions the Lord's will. Give you some examples. Acts 18.21, Taking leave of them, Paul said to them, I will return to you again if the Lord wills. Romans 1.10, he says, I'm always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps, now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Romans 15, verse 32, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. 1 Corinthians 4, 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16, 7, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Philippians 2, 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Philippians 2, verse 24, I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. That's how he lived his life, because he realized that his plans could change just like that. You follow Paul through his missionary journeys, and not everything he planned happened, because God changed some of those plans. If the Lord wills. This doesn't mean we shouldn't make plans. We don't want to just be flying by the seat of our pants, right? Paul made plans, but he recognized that God had the right to change his plans anytime he so desired. So it's foolish to ignore God's will in our life. We need to say, if the Lord wills. Lord willing, we will do this or that. Lord willing, we will be here next week. But we don't know that, do we? Notice, secondly, not only is it foolish to ignore God's will, it is arrogant to reject His will. It's bad enough to make our plans without seeking the Lord, but it's worse if we know the Lord's will and maybe even agree that it is right, but we refuse to do it. That's who James is addressing in verse 17, where he says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, the one who knows God's will, and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now why would a person refuse to do what he knows is right? I think James gives us one reason in verse 16, and and that is pride. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and also do this or that. But, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, I suppose most of us would like to think that we are not prideful or boastful, right? Wouldn't we all like to think that? I am so humble, right? That I'm proud of my humility. Huh? Uh, there is pride in us, and it's seen in, in many different ways. Pride isn't just boasting about something we've done. I mean, that's one form of pride. Another form of pride causes us to want our plans instead of God's plans. 
We want our will instead of His will. And when our will and God's will are in opposition to each other, that's the real test, isn't it? Am I going to trust my own wisdom and, and go my way, or am I going to go God's way? Ever struggle with that? There was a man in the Old Testament that struggled with that greatly. His name was Jonah. Remember him? God said, you go to Nineveh, and he said, nope, I'm going the opposite way. I'm not going there, God. I'm going to do my, my own thing. So there's that struggle that we experience. And not only do we want our plans instead of God's plans, we want our timing instead of God's timing. Ever struggle with that? <laughs> I know we do with that, right? And it's usually because we don't want to wait upon the Lord. Today or tomorrow, we, we've got this plan, and if God closes the door... We're just going to ram it down. We're going to do it, right? Because it's on my calendar. It's in my planning book. And so that's what I'm going to do. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul had the wisdom not to do this. He had plans about his mission work, but when God closed the door, he didn't try to make it happen anyhow. He knew that God had another plan. Look at Acts 16, verse 6. It says they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So when God closed the door in Asia, Paul didn't say, I'm going there anyhow. He moved on to a different region. He knew God had another plan. Verse 7, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And so God closed that door, and so they moved on. Passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and that was the place then where God gave Paul this vision of the man in Macedonia, remember saying, come over and help us? And in verse 10 says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding what? That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So twice... God closed the door in two different places because he wanted them somewhere else. And Paul was wise enough not to just try and ram down the door and go where God didn't want him to go. He was not going to arrogantly reject God's will when God made it clear to him that he had a different plan. Harry Laird was a pastor many years ago, and he was uh, sitting on a fallen tree trunk. And there was a large black ant crawling along leisurely on that uh, tree. And so he decided to drop a piece of a cracker near that ant. And when the fragment of that cracker fell, the ant started going the, the other direction. So he put his finger in front of the ant and blocked his way. And so the ant went somewhere else. Then he put his finger and blocked his way. And finally the ant got that cracker and he said, started uh, chewing on it vigorously with great delight. I don't know if he had a microscope, whatever, but he started eating this, this uh, cracker. I was just thinking about ants. Uh, do you have a lot of ants around your house? It is terrible. 
And I am not dropping crackers to feed them. I am stamping them out and spraying things on them that make them die. I, I confess it. So, so that's what he did. And here's what he says about that experience. He said, doubtless the ant thought the blocking of its chosen path was a hardship. It may have been rebellious, wondering what that big creature was trying to do. But it was simply a move of a higher intelligence to guide it to something more beneficial than the end of its chosen path. And I started thinking, is it that, isn't this what the Lord sometimes does with us? He, he, he closes our pathway to direct us in some other way, and we're sitting there saying, what on earth are you doing? We're just the ant, right? And God has so much greater wisdom and knowledge and plan and purpose for us. Why would we ever go against His plan for our lives? There's two reasons why we should not reject God's will. One obvious reason James mentions is that it is, it is sin, sinful to reject His will. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, that's disobedience. That is, that is sin. And think of it, God has every right, does He not, to direct our lives. Would you agree with that? He has every right to direct your life. He has every right to tell you what you ought to do. Now that's not well accepted in our culture, is it? People do not want to be told what to do, but God has every right to tell us what we ought to do. Why? Because, first of all, He created us, right? He has made us, and therefore we owe our life to Him as our Creator. And if you know Jesus, you owe your life to Him because He has what? Redeemed you. Redeemed you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 19 and 20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? What does that mean? We belong to Jesus. We are not our own boss. We are not the one who decides how to run our lives. That's why Paul goes on to say, if you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So if we know what God's will is for us, and we aren't willing to follow that, what would James say? That's sin. That's disobedience to him. A second reason we shouldn't reject God's will is that we, we will miss out on God's blessing. God has a plan for your life that is much better than yours. Would you agree? Do you think God has more wisdom about what your life should look like than you do? I hope you agree with that. And just think of people who, who choose not to follow God's plan for their life, how they miss out on the blessing that God wants to give them and work through them. There was a gifted young man named George who... 
came back from college, and he was asked by the Sunday Sunday school superintendent, by Justin Jones, to teach a class. And uh, he said, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it." And his pastor urged him to accept the challenge, and he just said nonchalantly, "There's no penalty for refusing, is there?" And his pastor said, "Yes, there is. It's a penalty of not knowing." What God could have accomplished through your life if you had not obeyed him. And George says, if I don't know about it, I guess I won't miss it. What an attitude, huh? College student, I thought he knew everything, right? So the pastor said, do you remember the incident in Jesus' life when he went to a Samaritan village and they would not receive him? And how some of the disciples said, let's just call down fire from heaven and wipe them out. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I I didn't come for that reason. He said, what do you think it cost the people of that little town because they refused to serve the Lord? And George says, I don't recall any penalty. As far as I know, nothing ever happened to them. (laughs) And the pastor said, you are right. The people went to bed as usual. The next morning they got up and nothing out of the ordinary occurred. No sick were healed. No parable was spoken. No disciples were called. Had Jesus performed some miracle or taught in that village, it would have had a prominent place in history. Instead, its name is unknown. We don't even know the name of that village that rejected Jesus. And for a moment, George was silent. They said, thank you, Pastor, for that advice. I'll teach that class. How many people are missing out on the blessing of God? Because they come to a crossroad. And instead of going God's way, they go their own way. Instead of saying, Lord, your will be done, they say, my will be done. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. It's foolish to ignore God's will. It's arrogant to reject God's will. And then thirdly, it is wise. It is wise to embrace God's will. When we make our plans and something changes them, aren't we often disappointed? Here's what I wanted to do today. Or here's what I wanted to do this week or this month. Or here's what I wanted to do in in life. And I was planning for that. And then it did not work out. And so we are disappointed. But have your plans ever been changed? And you were so thankful they were. That God had a different plan. And when God brought about that different plan by closing a door because he had something better for you, doesn't that just cause you to say, thank you, Lord, for closing that door and opening another one because your plan for me was so much better than mine? Or are we so intent on getting what we want that we fail to see that God has something better for us. Like the little girl who came to her dad and said, Daddy, I want a nickel. 
And he opened up his wallet and gave her a $5 bill. And he, she threw it on the floor and she said, I want a nickel. <laughs> kind of foolish, isn't it? Have we ever done that? We are so intent on a nickel when God wants to give us a $5 bill. We have our own plan when, when God has, has something so much better in store for us. I'm not sure what it is about following the Lord's will, but there are times when we are, are we're, we're fearful of it, aren't we? Ever been afraid? What if I surrender? What if I say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do? What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? How many of you have ever dealt with that, struggled with that? Huh? We struggle in surrendering to his will because we're afraid he might ask us to do something that we don't want to do. I remember as a, a teenage boy, some of the ladies and guys in our church asking me, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? You know what I thought? No way. There is no way that I would ever be able to be like my dad. And I'm thankful I don't have to be like my dad and Maybe my wife is too. He was kind of silly at sometimes, but anyhow. One of the passages of Scripture that helped me, as I was praying about God's will for my life, is the Scripture lesson from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read that again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on all that God has done for you, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. What is it? That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now think of that. So I had to ask myself, and, I, and I, I remember wrestling with this question, do I really want what is good and acceptable and perfect? Or do I want my will? My way. Now, sh- should that have ever been a struggle? <laughs> do I want what is good and acceptable and perfect? Do I want the will of God in my life? Why would I ever not want what God wants for me? You know what I'm saying? And yet there's that battle we face sometimes. Young people, maybe you're going through that as you think of, you know, what am I going to do with my life after I graduate from high school? What does God want for me? Or do you have it all planned out and you're living as if God doesn't exist? Instead of saying, Lord, not my will, but, but yours be done. Does this mean it will be always easy when you follow the will of God? I'd be lying to you if I said yes. Oh, it'll be just great all the time. No, there will be challenges, right? There's going to be disappointments because we still have a sinful nature. 
that we battle with. But I look back and I say, honestly as I can be, that I've never regretted coming to that crossroad in my life and really asking God, what it took me as a sophomore in college before I really came to grips with that question, Lord, I want your will in my life. It took me until then. But I'm so thankful as I look back because I wouldn't have wanted it any other way than to say, yes, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I came across a poem that was printed many years ago in the Gospel Banner. I don't know if that's even around anymore. But here's the poem. Disappointment, his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise. For the end from the beginning, open to his vision lies. Disappointment, his appointment, whose? The Lord's who loves me best, understands and knows me fully, who my faith and love would test. For like loving earthly parents, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts unquestioned all that from his wisdom flows. Disappointment? His appointment. No good things will he withhold. From denials oft we gather treasures of his love untold. All my life's plan in his molding. Not one single choice be mine. Let me answer, not repining. Father, not my will, but thine. Father, I pray that that would be the conclusion that we come to today as we we think of our lives and the plans that we have, recognizing that the plans that you have for us are plans for welfare and not for calamity to give us a future and a hope. And help us to see, Lord, that we are the potter and you are the clay. That we would say, mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Father, help us not to be afraid of your will, but to embrace it. And to know that your wisdom and your love and your plan for us is so much greater than we could ever comprehend. In Jesus' name we pray.